The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies. Well, I went and I did it. I finished the second draft of Shakedown, the Crypt, book one. It came in at 150,000 words. It was meant to be about 100,000 words. Oi, I uh, tend to get a little bit girthy. I get a little turgid as I'm writing these books, and hopefully you guys reap the benefit of way more words. We do not have a publication or pre-order date yet. When we do, I will let you know. I am pooped. Aside from my nephew's wedding, working on this book is pretty much all I have done for the past month. A bunch of long-ass days, working all the weekends, trying to get it done so we can get this moved along toward you guys. That is a lot of hours to smash it into second draft shape. Shakedown is action-packed. It's gory. It's a tale that is packed with seeds that you won't see blossom until later books in the series. And yet, as I always do, It has an over-the-top ending, and it tells a complete story. I don't leave you cliffhanger to see what happens to the characters in the next book. Because that is how I do it, man. That is how I do it. That is it for this week's Talkie Talk. Let's get you caught up on the story, and then we're all going to go clean out our spam folders. Previously on The Rookie. After the trials of the Combine and the preseason, Quentin Barnes finally suits up in the orange and the black for the season opener against the Wu Wallcrawlers. Once upon a time, he thought playing in front of 30,000 fans was the big leagues. Now, he will feel the thunder of 185,000 Krakens faithful as Ionath Stadium shudders. An excerpt from Species Biology and Football, written by Cho Ah Huiti. Sklorno were once considered the bane of the galaxy. An aggressive, fast-growing species, Sklorno females reach reproductive maturity in seven years. They also can breed up to twice a year, with potential broods of 10 to 12 children. This would create severe overpopulation, save for the fact that in Sklorno society, cannibalism is not only socially acceptable, it is considered a normal part of life. When the population exceeds the food supply, the government simply selects the individuals that are to become food themselves. This behavior is indicative of what makes the Sklorno so alien to other sentient species. The Sklorno have little or no concern for individual life. What matters in their culture is the success of the entire species, the macro-environmental scale, if you will. Because of this attitude, the Sklorno were a vicious, warring race and tried several times to exterminate other species and expand their territory via war. The Sklorno, in fact, started the first intergalactic war when they conquered the planet Withrit and exterminated all intelligent life, amounting to about 2.1 billion Watokians. The Sklorno were also the first species to destroy a planet's ability to sustain life when they saturation bombed Iona, which then belonged to the Prawat Jihad. So what does this history lesson have to do with species, biology, and football? 
You must understand the culture of the Sklorno if you are to understand their strengths and weaknesses as football players. Individual life holds little meaning for the Sklorno, while the success of the overall species is all important. This attitude translates literally to the gridiron. Sklorno do whatever it takes to put the team ahead. On top of that, they're the fastest and most agile species in the galaxy, with 40-yard dash speeds up to a blistering 3.0 and vertical leaps of up to 15 feet they seem almost genetically engineered to play wide receiver and defensive back. A Sklorno receiver fully extended at the top jumping height can pull down a ball that's thrown 20 feet over her head. Despite their speed, the Sklorno are the least strong of the playing races. Improvements in inertia-based protective equipment have greatly reduced Sklorno deaths, although during a given upper-tier season, one can still expect 5 to 8 deaths. Kretorakian officials introduced football in Sklorno space just 23 years ago. It has become a massive cultural phenomenon. Football is the number one spectator sport, surpassing the traditional sports of spot racing and even soccer, which the Sklorno have dominated since humans introduced it 62 years ago. With military expansion halted by Kretorakian rule, young Sklorno females have few outlets for their aggressive tribal tendencies. Football has filled that gap. A societal quirk has developed due to the GFL, where Sklorno players, and some fans, put their team on a slightly higher level than their species. For many Sklorno, football isn't like a religion, it is a religion. Sociologists say that the team-based nature of the GFL is a perfect, microcosmic replica of the warring culture, and it appeals to the Sklorno at a very instinctive level. With the success of the species always at the forefront of their thoughts, Sklorno tend to idolize those that define a team's success, coaches and quarterbacks. There are actual churches spread throughout Sklorno space that are dedicated to coaches, like two pirates, coach Yuri Rachmanov and quarterbacks like Hitoni Holwalker's legend Sam London and two-time Tier 1 championship MVP Donald Pine. Book 3. The Regular Season. Game 1. Wu Wallcrawlers, zero wins, zero losses. At the Ionath Krakens, zero wins, zero losses. An hour before the game, the humans started dressing. The stadium was already mostly full. Even three stories below the stands, inside the locker room's thick walls, they heard the crowd's roar. Music pumped from Yasud's locker. He loves scrag music, loud, boisterous, boasting rhymes produced from the downtrodden culture of Rodina. Several people had asked Yasud to turn it down, but John Tweedy liked the music, so nobody pressed the point. Quentin sat on the bench, fully dressed in his orange and black uniform, his thoughts focused on the game ahead, his first upper-tier game. He barely noticed his teammates or the music. He didn't come out of it until he felt someone near, staring at him. Quentin looked up and saw Don Pine only a few feet away. Quentin's eyes narrowed to hateful slits. What do you want, Pine? Pine shrugged. I don't want nothing. So go stare at someone else's ass. Kid, you need to relax. I really didn't appreciate your joke back on the landing platform. What joke? Man, what are you talking about? Denver. You had Denver come up to me in front of everyone and ask if I needed help with my passing. Pine blinked a few times. You thought that was a joke? And not a very funny one, Pine. You'll get yours. Pine shook his head in amazement, then sighed. Well, if you get in today, kid, good luck. He turned and walked away. Quentin didn't return the sentiment. 
In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The Shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. The Kraken's players gathered in the tunnel that led to the field. The announcer said something in quiff, then repeated it in human. And here is the visiting team, the Wall Crawlers! A scraping sound filled the stadium, like a million carpenters sanding a million rough boards. Wenton pressed his hands to the ear holes of his helmet. He turned to Itzak. Man, what the hell is that sound? Itzak had to lean into Quentin and shout so he could be heard over the horrible noise. That's fur scraping! Workers scrape the bristle fur on their forearms together. It's kind of like human booing. Man, what the hell is that? That's them stomping. They're getting ready for us to come out of the field. Kid, you've never seen anything like it. The Krakens packed tightly into the small space. Clean orange and black jerseys covered the bodies of human... Sklorno, Key, and Quith Warrior. No one pushed, no one shoved, and no one threatened. The very walls vibrated with the growing roar of the capacity 185,000 being crowd. Intangible electricity filled the air, making the skin on the back of Quentin's neck tingle with excitement. Racial hatred disappeared. Well, that wasn't quite true. It didn't disappear as much as it transformed, mutated moving from alien teammates to the unified body of the enemy, the Wu wall crawlers. The Kraken's players were no longer individual species, no longer individual beings with petty biases and hatreds and arguments. They were warriors, and they were headed to war. The announcer said something in quick, and the crowd erupted with the roar of the High One himself. 
the unified army of orange and black surged forward. The announcer repeated the call, this time inhuman. Beings of all races, let's hear it for your Ionath Krakens! Quentin found himself carried along in a wave of teammates. This was nothing like it had been on McCovey, where the starters were introduced one at a time, and the largest crowd he'd ever played before amounted to 24,500. The team sprinted out through the tunnel mouth into the perfect daylight of Ionath Stadium. Quentin had never seen such a concentration of life. The crowd's roar hit like a physical, concussive force. At the sidelines, the Krakens gathered in a tight circle. Quentin found himself packed in, shoulder to shoulder against Milford on his right, pressed next to Mumo Killowee on his left, and Killick the unworthy behind him. In front of them all, at the center of the circle, Donald Pine. This is it! Pine wasn't yelling. Yet his words carried loudly despite the crowd's massive volume. This is what we work for! The road to tier one starts right here! Right now! His voice rang with authority and command. All around him, Quentin felt Kraken's players leaning in towards Pine. The veteran quarterback radiated calm and utter confidence. Predorakian civilians dressed in tiny orange and black uniforms flittered about, translating Pine's words into key. We gotta go out there and establish ourselves right now. No waiting. They won the toss. Defense, I want the ball back. Offense, I want to score on our first drive. They don't want to score on our second drive. They don't want to score on our third drive. No letting up. He raised his fist, and the circle tightened in a convulsive surge. Hands, petty palps, chitinous arms, and raspers reached out to Pine, who stood in the center of it all like a battlefield hero. Quentin found, to his surprise, that he instinctively reached out his own hand as well. But he stopped himself only a few inches from the veteran quarterback, pretending that he couldn't quite reach. Player let out a single, deep, guttural grunt that transcended language, and then the circle broke apart, the players gathering in groups, kickoff team, defense, offense, and second stringers. Across the field, the Wu wall crawlers broke from their own huddle, They wore pinkish leg armor and white jerseys with letters and numbers in light blue rimmed by purple. Each jersey had the word crawlers stretched across the chest above the number. A stylized purple creature on each right shoulder of each jersey spread forth long tentacles, two down the chest, two down the back, and two down the right arm, or arms in the case of the key. Five graceful, boneless hurrah floated onto the field. Their soft wings undulated in wave-like patterns, carrying them smoothly forward. They wore black and white striped jerseys, custom-fitted to their flat bodies. Quentin suddenly understood why Hurrah made great refs. They could fly up to monitor the 20-foot-high mid-air battles between Sklorno receivers and defensive backs. A grounded ref could never accurately judge interference. Pine walked up to Quentin and saw the younger QB looking at the refs. You never seen flying rest before? Quentin shook his head. No, but it's a great idea. Fucking Zeebs, they hate the Krakens. We always get crap calls. What's a Zeeb? Well, that's what they call the refs. Well, yeah, but what is it? I think it's short for zebra. What's a zebra? Pine shrugged as he put on his helmet. Beats me. Some animal with black and white stripes, I guess. From Baker Six, I think. The Krakens lined up for the kickoff. The crowd of 185,000 started beating their feet in place. Quentin looked at the stands behind him, 
the crowd was mostly quick, with workers filling the higher rows and upper decks. Plenty of humans, quith warriors, and quith leaders filled the lower seats. He spotted the distinctive shape of many Sklorno females in the stands, most of whom wore the replica Kraken's jersey with number 80, Haywick's number. Special sections of the stands were packed with the bouncing one-foot diameter fuzzy balls that he now knew were the Sklorno males. These sections were enclosed in clear crystal metal. The males bounced up and down inside. There had to be a thousand of them in each enclosure, moving so fast he could barely make out the individuals. Quentin wondered why, when looking at a stadium packed with a half dozen races, Sklorno males were segregated. Quentin nudged Itzhak. Why are the Sklorno males in that cage? Oh, the bed bugs? Because they get so turned on watching the females that they'll rush the field and try and mate with them. Quentin grimaced. Ah, oh, come on. Really? Oh, sure, they're horny little buggers. Watch out if you're around any of our receivers at DBs in public. The little bastards will lose it. It'll just start humping them. That's why the females wear full-body clothing in public. Otherwise, the bedbugs might impregnate them. The crowd's foot-pounding picked up in intensity and was joined by a low O sound that quickly increased in pitch and volume. Quentin turned in time to see the kicker's foot slam into the ball exactly at the moment the crowd's O turned into a sustained ah of excitement. The ball sailed through the air as the Kraken's kickoff team pounded down the field. Quentin saw Yasud rushing downfield, that murderous look on his face. Denver and Milford were there as well, sprinting like living missiles, pulling ahead of their teammates. A line of human and quith warrior wall crawlers formed a wedge and drove upfield followed by Esplorno carrying the brown ball. Denver and Milford launched themselves high into the air, arching over the wall crawler wedge. Two pink and white clad Esplorno players shot through the air to meet them. One picked off Denver in midair and they fell in a heap. Milford twisted and her defender sailed past. She landed on her feet as Yasud and the other Krakens smashed into the wall crawler wedge. Milford sprang forward. The wall crawler ball carrier tried to dodge, but Milford brought her down at the crawler's 15-yard line. The crowd roared so loudly that Quentin put his hands to his helmet's ear holes. He heard some kind of high-pitched screeching from the stands and looked back. The Sklorno males bounced maddeningly in their enclosures, hitting the crystal metal wall so hard they had to be injuring themselves. John Tweedy led the defense onto the field. I am the bringer of death, scrolled across his face. The crawler's offense came out and huddled up, led by quarterback Kelly Musai Ed. Warburg walked up and stood next to Quentin. Kelly's in for a long day. This run and shoot shit doesn't work against Michnik and Khomeini. Kelly snapped the ball and handed off to running back Kopu Sogang, who found nothing at the line. He cut right but Khomeini reached out his thick arms and dragged the runner to the ground for no gain. The crawlers next ran a short out-pattern pass, good for three yards before Berea leveled the receiver. On third and seven, Kelly dropped back as four receivers snaked into the defensive backfield. Michnik, the Kraken's defensive end, drove into the crawler's right tackle, then spun to the inside and broke free. Kelly felt the pressure and threw the ball away. The defense ran off the field to congratulations and approving slaps from the offense and the second stringers. The crawlers punted. Richfield called for a fair catch, and the Kraken's offense took to the field for the first time. Pine led the offense onto the field, 
Warburg waited a few seconds before leisurely trotting to join the huddle. Quentin moved to stand next to Yasud. What's it like out there? It is unbelievable! Yasud's grin was once again firmly planted on his face. The crowd is unreal. There's so much fucking energy. You'll see soon enough. Quentin shrugged. Eh, hopefully the old fart won't last long. I'll get in. You never know. Yasud neither agreed nor disagreed with Quentin's hopes. First and ten in the Kraken's 45. Pine wasted no time exploiting the crawler's slow secondary. He hit Haywick for a 12-yard slant, then Kobayashi for a 6-yard out, then a deep crossing pattern to Warburg. Warburg caught the ball in full stride and turned upfield, all 365 pounds of him moving at top speed. Crawler defensive backs Sol and Onaway closed in on him. Warburg turned to slam into Sol head-to-head, knocking the 200-pound Slurno defensive player backwards. Warburg stumbled from the contact, and Onaway brought him down for a 22-yard gain that gave the Krakens a first and 10 on the wall crawler 15. Warburg and Onaway got up. Sol did not. The game paused as a hurrah doctor flew onto the field, trailed by a floating cart. The hurrah looked exactly like Doc, except this one's backpack was pink and light blue instead of orange and black. The doctor looked at Sol for a long minute, then pushed the cart over the Sklerno's prone form. A hundred tiny wires shot out of the cart's underside, wrapping around Sol in a hundred different places. The cart rose about a foot, and Sol's body rose with it, still in the exact same position she'd been in on the ground. The doctor flew off the field towards the tunnel to the locker room, the cart zipping along behind. With the wounded player removed, the teams lined up once again. The crawlers blitzed on the next play, and Pine calmly delivered a seven-yard slant to Scarborough. He dropped back once more, standing tall and taking his time. His offensive line gave great protection, and after five full seconds in the pocket, Pine fired a tight spiral to Haywick for a touchdown. The stadium shuddered from the crowd's roar. Fireworks exploded overhead. The entire sky seemed to turn a deep orange. Quentin ducked involuntarily, as if from the shadow of some giant bird flying close overhead. Relax, Quentin, that's just the dome. They turned the whole thing orange when we score a touchdown. The color blinked away, and the sky was once again clear and bright. Pine and the receivers ran off the field as the kicking team came on for the extra point. You're right, he is an old fart. Five for five and a touchdown on the first drive. Man, we should get him a wheelchair and some oxygen before he collapses. Fuck you, Yasud. Yasud just laughed. The defense continued to pound the wall crawlers through the first half, shutting down Kelly Musai Ed. Mitchnik sacked him twice, and Tweedy got to him once with a devastating hit on a linebacker blitz. Pine made good on his pregame plans, guiding the Krakens to scores on their next two drives. At the half, the Krakens were up 24-7. to Pine added one more touchdown for good measure in the third quarter, a 32-yard strike to Scarborough. With each completion, Quentin grew angrier. He'd settled into his newfound role as a sideline spectator when late in the fourth quarter, he heard Hokor's distinctive bark. Barnes! Next series! You're in! Quentin stared at his coach, then back at the field. He was going in before Itzak. Was he second string then? 
Quentin's pulse beat double time as he watched the Kraken's defense working against the Crawlers. The Crawlers' quarterback hadn't made it past the third quarter before his coach pulled him. His replacement, a second-year player called Anaruta Smith, didn't fare much better. Smith completed a short hook for a first down at the Kraken's 32. Come on, defense! Quentin looked up at the clock. One minute and 12 seconds left to play. He should have been able to predict what happened next. Tweedy showed blitz, but slid into coverage as Smith dropped back. The rookie Mumo Killowee, who'd already notched one sack, furiously drove his opposing lineman back as he reached for Smith. Smith dodged to the right, feeling the pressure. He threw a quick crossing pattern to a seemingly open tight end. But Tweedy was playing his lame duck act. He broke on the ball with a speed he hadn't shown the entire game and picked off the pass. The crowd roared in approval. As Tweedy and company came off the field, Quentin sprinted on, so excited he could barely think. He stood in front of the huddle, a mix of first-string linemen and second-string skill players. Yasud looked back at him, grinning. Denver and Milford were there, their armored eye stalks twitching in anticipation. Quentin's heads-up display activated automatically. Hokor's yellow and black one-eyed face appeared, lifelike, and right in front of Quentin's face mask. Base block dive right, Barnes. Keep it simple and hang on to the ball. Quentin relayed the play to the Krakens. He broke the huddle and walked to the line. That feeling was back in his stomach again, the queasy feeling, the one he'd never known before that first full contact practice two days earlier. His five key linemen looked like a giant wall of muscle. Yet if they were a wall, a fortress, beyond them were three key battering rams in white jerseys, waiting to blast through the offensive line and tear into him. Outside of them, two gigantic human defensive ends, obviously heavy G natives, so big they dwarfed the PNFL's biggest players. But his first play was a handoff to the running back, so at least he wouldn't have to worry about the front five. Quentin squatted, left foot forward, right foot back, as he reached his hands under Bodeschweck. He pressed his left hand up, but Boo felt wet. Quentin pulled his hand back out. Black wetness smeared the back of his left hand. His center, Bodeschweck, was bleeding. Should he call a timeout? He quickly looked at his lineman. Black blood smeared the orange numbers on their black jerseys, most of which were ripped in one place or another. Some of their arms were up and ready to block, while a few arms hung limp and lifeless, broken. Yet none of the key had come out of the game. Come on, Quentin, let's go! Yasud shouted at him from behind. Quentin flashed a quick glance at the play clock, five seconds and counting. He quickly wiped his hands on his jersey, then squatted and thrust his hands under Budishwick. Blue 32! Blue 32! Hut, hut! Budishwek snapped him the ball. Quentin felt it slap into his hands. He pulled it to his stomach and turned as he stepped back. Yasud surged forward, back of his right hand on his chest, elbow high, his left hand across his stomach. Quentin reached the ball out, and Yasud slammed his arms together, taking the handoff and driving forward. He found no opening at the line, so he cut right. Vuko Will, the Kraken's right tackle, drove his defender backwards. With nowhere else to go, Yasud put his head down and followed Vuka Will. Defenders swarmed on him for a gain of only three. The Krakens huddled up. 
The clock ticked past one minute left to go in the game and kept rolling. Mine, screen pass, X left formation. Quentin looked to the sidelines and tapped the transmit button on his right wrist. Come on, coach, their secondary's soft. Let me go deep. Quentin saw the little holographic Hokor's yellow fur suddenly stand on end. Barnes, run the plays I call. Screen pass left, X left. Quentin nodded, turned to the huddle, and called the play. He lined up again, noticing suddenly that the butterflies were worse than before. His stomach seemed to shrink, reducing itself to half size, then quarter size. And now he had to pee quite badly. Red 16! Red 16! Hut, hut, hut! The line clashed together once again. Quentin dropped back, holding the ball up by his ear, ready to pass. Suddenly, his offensive line parted, and the white jersey defensive battering ram surged forward, multi-jointed legs pumping and multi-jointed arms quivering. The monsters roared with unbridled fury as they charged towards him. He backpedaled as if he was avoiding the rush. Just before the key defenders reached him, he turned and threw the ball to Yasud in the flat. Killa Yoet and Shoto Thicket, the Kraken's left tackle and left guard respectively, had released their blocks and moved to the flat to block for Yasud. Yasud caught the pass, but Quentin didn't see the results of the play. Three huge bodies bore down on him, driving him to the ground. Almost two tons of defensive linemen smashed in him as he hit the turf. His armor resisted most of the impact, but not all of it. His lungs felt compressed, like he couldn't draw a full breath, and he couldn't move a muscle. Quentin heard a whistle, but the weight remained. He felt the key's hot breath on his face and looked up into the hexagonal mouth and sharp teeth. The mouth flexed as the key spoke in his guttural tongue. Heard it all before, douchebag. The huge creature shifted its weight, and suddenly Quentin felt the tip of a chitinous arm reaching into his helmet. The arm moved quickly, and he felt a searing pain across his cheek. More whistles sounded, and the lineman pushed off him. Quentin stood as he felt a hot wetness spread across his cheek. He touched it, and his fingers came away streaked with his own blood. The butterflies in his stomach dried up and crumbled to dust. Blossoming rage took their place. The Kraken started to huddle up, but Quentin walked past them, shouldering roughly past his own key lineman. Hey, you want to play with me, big boy? Quentin pointed his finger at the back of the key lineman who'd cut him. The name on the back of the jersey read Yagalatis. The unblinking black eye spots on the back of his head saw Quentin, of course. Yagalatis turned to face him. You want to fucking play with me, you fucking salamander? Yagalatis simply put his bloody hand to his hexagonal mouth. A blackish tongue slithered out and licked the red blood clean. Out of the corner of his eye, Quentin saw yellow flags fly. The raw officials in their black and white striped jerseys flew between Quentin and the key lineman. Quentin was about to shove them away and go after Yagalatis when strong arms wrapped around his chest. Easy, kid. Come on now, don't do this. Quentin kept pointing and kept shouting. You want to do that Bush League shit with me, fucko? Another flag flew. Three black and white jerseys fluttered in front of him. Helping to hold him back, a distant part of Quentin's rage-stoked brain found it interesting a flying creature could display such considerable strength. A ref pushed him back, and he almost fell. He shoulder-tossed his suit, sending the rookie running back sprawling on the ground. 
Quentin reared back to hit the ref that pushed him, but Hokor's voice in his ear screamed loud enough to make him wince. Burns, no! You hit a ref and you're suspended for the season! The coach's words snapped Quentin out of his one-track intentions. A season-long suspension? Hell, nothing was worth that. He helped you suit up and walk back to the huddle, casting glances over his shoulder at Yagalatis as he did. Barnes, that little act cost us 15 yards. Now take a knee and run out the clock. Without looking at the sideline, Quentin reached down to his belt and calmly turned off his receiver. He looked up at the scoreboard and assessed the situation. 32 seconds to play, first and 25 on the Kraken's 45-yard line. As Quentin reached the huddle, he glared at his key lineman. Their eye spots stared back at him seemingly impassive. They didn't seem bothered in the least that their quarterback had just been cut by an opposing lineman. Hey, take a time out there, Chief. You're bleeding pretty bad. Shut up. No talking in my huddle. X-Flash left set. Double deep routes. Denver, Milford, get deep fast and get open. The two Scalornos started to quiver with excitement. Knock it off. You want the whole stadium to know what we're doing? The two receivers instantly fell stock still. Uh, Quentin, shouldn't we just take a knee? Quentin reached out and grabbed Yasud's face mask, twisting it and pulling his head forward. My huddle. You talk one more time and you're out. You got it? Yasud, surprised and wide-eyed, nodded once. Quentin let him go. Line up like we're showing a quarterback kneel. As soon as we get to the line, Denver, Milford, sprint out to the X-Flash set. Go on my first sound. Ready? Break! Quentin and the others jogged to the line. Denver and Milford lined up outside the left and right tight ends, respectively. Then, just as the defenders settled in for the predictable quarterback kneel situation, the Sklorno receivers sprinted out along the line of scrimmage. Quentin saw Hokor's fur ruffle once more. The coach said something into his mouthpiece, but Quentin didn't hear it. Just as Hokor started to signal for a timeout, Quentin shouted, HUT! And the ball slapped into his hands. He dropped back five steps and planted, looking downfield. The crowd roared as Denver sprinted down the sideline, then angled towards the center of the field. Jacobina, the crawler's cornerback, matched Denver step for step with blanket coverage. Quentin suddenly realized that Mitchell Fayette had been right. This was nothing like practice. The key defensive tackles drove hard against the offensive lineman, roaring, punching, tearing. The offensive lineman gave as good as they got, backing up as they did, throwing punches and tearing at half-shredded jerseys. Huge bodies slammed against one another, flesh shuddering in concussive waves with each impact. Droplets of black blood flew in all directions as the pocket formed around Quentin. He stood at the eye of a storm of predatorial violence, where he was the prey. Yagalatis, his white jersey streaked with black, tried a spin move. It was amazing to see something so big move so fast, show such agility. The Kraken's lineman, Kilayoet, managed to counter the spin move and stayed in front of the attacking lineman. The left defensive end had dropped into pass coverage, but the right end came with all of his heavy G-force. The 535-pound monstrous human drove forward, powered by thighs that looked like beer kegs, his thick arms pushing and pulling at Vukowil, the Kraken's right tackle. And as big as Vukowil was, it was all he could do to stay in front of the attacking gorilla dressed in a football uniform. They didn't just want to tackle him, they wanted to kill him. For the first time since his rookie season in the PNFL, 
Quentin Barnes felt small. Quentin waited, feeling the defensive pressure coming for him. His mind operated like a multi-processing machine, simultaneously measuring a hundred different inputs. He let the ball fly and it arced through the air. At first, he thought he'd thrown it a bit too far and a bit too high, but Denver and Jacobina turned on the Jets and burned downfield. 50 yards downfield, Denver and her defenders sprang high into the air, but Denver jumped higher. 15 feet up, Denver reached out and snagged the perfectly thrown ball. Her momentum carried her into the end zone, and she landed for a touchdown. The crowd volume reached deafening levels. Quentin knelt and picked up a few blades of IMAC, torn up by the constant churning cleats. He held the circular blades to his nose and sniffed. Smelled like cinnamon. He stood and pointed straight at Yagalatis. That touchdown was for you, motherfucker! Now go translate this! Quentin grabbed his crotch and shook it three times. Yagalatis' black eye spot shrunk to tiny pinholes, and he started to charge forward. This time, the hurrah officials were ready. Flags flew once again as four of them blocked Yagalatis from coming after Quentin. The massive lineman could have effortlessly knocked the hurrah aside, but Yagalatis wanted to sit out the season no more than Quentin did. Quentin ran off the field as the kicking team came on for the extra point. Hokor's fur stood on end. What was that? I told you to take a knee! Quentin shrugged. Transmitter was broken, coach, so I called a play. Hokor's one eye stared hard at Quentin. After the game, I'll see you in my office, Barnes. Now go get that cut fixed. Quentin nodded, then smiled and walked to the bench. Teammates thumped him on the helmet and shoulder pads. Pine approached and extended a hand. Quentin shook it before he realized what he was doing. That's a great pass, kid. Amazingly, Pine sounded genuinely happy, but Quentin knew the veteran was mocking him. Pine still had that shit-eating grin on his face. Perfectly timed that pass for Denver's leaping ability. Nice work. Yeah, thanks. How'd you know to throw it high and deep against Jacobina? Well, I... Well, she can't do her maximum vertical when she's running full speed. Quentin's voice trailed off, a recent practice memory jumping into his head. He'd known where to throw because of all the studying. He knew Jacobina had trouble reaching maximum vertical leap during a full sprint, and Hokor had instructed him to throw deep and high, make the receiver really have to sprint and jump to make the catch. Jacobina can't match the jump if the ball was thrown correctly. Quentin hadn't even given that a thought when he'd thrown the ball, but he had done exactly as he'd been instructed to do. Pine's shitting grin widened just a bit more as recognition washed across Quentin's face. Maybe Hokor's instructions aren't busy work after all, eh, rookie? Quentin looked away. Pine was right, and he didn't want to deal with the veteran quarterback's smugness. The smiling Itzak came up and pounded Quentin on the shoulder pad. Great throw! That show in him! Doc floated over, his vocal processor kicking out more volume than usual to compensate for the crowd's incessant noise. That's a nasty cut, Quentin. Let's get to work on it. Doc grabbed Quentin's arm and pulled him into one of the med bays behind the bench. Quentin's cleats clacked as he moved from the soft field to the bay's metal grate floor. Doc reached into a drawer and pulled out a spray can and something wrapped in sealed plastic wrap. First, let's clean that up. Key claws can produce a nasty infection in humans. Now hold your breath. This will sting just a bit. Quentin took in a deep breath and held it as Doc sprayed the can's contents onto his cheek. The mist felt cool against his skin. That didn't sting at all, Doc. 
I wasn't talking about the antiseptic. With one smooth motion, Doc ripped open the plastic pouch and put a blue, wet, rectangular cloth on Quentin's cheek. Pain leapt up immediately, as if someone had placed a branding iron on his face. He stood up with a start and pushed Doc uh, away. Hi, one. What the hell is that? Quentin reached up to pull the cloth away, but Doc's ribbon-like tentacle slapped at his hand. Don't be a baby. That's nano-knit. It burns because the nanocytes are ripping open a few cells to read your DNA. The burning intensified. Quentin felt tears welling up in his eyes. Oh, man. God, couldn't you just stitch the damn thing? Doc shuddered, a ripple that coursed through his boneless body. Don't insult me, Quentin. You're not in the barbarian lands anymore. Quentin danced in place, fighting to keep his hands off the cloth. But already the burning feeling was subsiding. Has the burning ceased? Quentin nodded. A tingling sensation replaced the burning. The nanocytes have read your DNA to see exactly how your skin is supposed to be. They are rebuilding the cut right now. How many of them are there? The patch contains roughly 500,000. You're kidding me. A half a million? A trivial amount, I assure you. You would need ten times that amount for muscle or ligament damage. Quentin had never heard of such medical technology, and he was receiving it on the sidelines of a football game. He could only wonder just how advanced things were in an actual hospital. The holy men preached about the nation's technical advancement, but most people knew the truth, that the nation was decades behind rival systems like the Planetary Union and the League of Planets. Of course, he was in the GFL now, in the land of the big money, where no expense would be spared to keep the off-damage players on the field. Still, he thought of the boy back on McCovey, the one he'd given his jersey to after the PNFL championship. Would this kind of treatment have helped that boy? Would it have saved his leg? Doc reached out and removed the cloth. It was bloody and limp. He tossed it towards the bench, where it lay with the other sideline debris like grass stain tape, broken straps, broken buckles, torn jerseys, and magna cup rings. So what happens to the nanocytes now that they're done? Oh, they'll run around for a bit, looking for more damaged skin until they run out of energy. And then? And then what? They stop working. Yeah, but when do you take them out? We don't do anything with them, Quentin. Your body will process them out like any other waste. Kidneys will filter them out. My kidneys? So you mean I'm going to piss these things out? That is correct. Now, if you'll excuse me, I must see what other injuries require my attention. The game finished with the Kraken's defense on the field. Surprisingly, the crowd counted down the last 10 seconds in human, and that grand football tradition sounded little different than it had back in the PNFL. Orange and black banners flew, colored streamers sailed, and fireworks blasted over the open stadium. The Krakens, victorious, drifted in small groups off the field and into the tunnel. He saw Warburg and Git Win, the wall crawler's stocky fullback, and another nationalite praying at the 50-yard line. Quentin ignored them. He had always felt the high one had more important things to do than concern himself with football, and probably didn't listen to victory thanks. He left the field, basking in the glow of his first GFL game. He hadn't played much, but he'd made the most of it. Two for two for 80 yards and a touchdown. Hokor really had no choice now but to give him more playing time. Pine was great, sure, but Quentin was the future, and now everybody knew it. The Krakens, their fans, and, especially, Coach Hokor the Hook Chest.
You have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon, superweaponband.com. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.